Yes, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. It is the American way. And a lot of people need to realize that. Well, we have a lot to cover this morning. And let's just start off by thanking all the veterans out there in America. Because without the veterans, there would be no America. And we need those fine men and women, past, present, and future. Let's do all we can for these men and women that stand up for the freedoms and principles of this great nation. All right. So you can find all of our media content over at deadamerica.website. Make sure you go over there and check it out. We've got a few podcasts that we offer. Free Circle Freedoms, that comes out every Sunday. Dead America, that comes out on Wednesdays. And yes, right here, keeping it real each weekday morning, about 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And we cast out of the great Klamath Basin, Oregon. Yes, beautiful place to live. And if you haven't heard about it, You need to get over here and explore the Crater Lake area. It's a great national monument with immense beauty. So let's get into this. As we all know, well, maybe not all of us, but all of us UFC fight fans, boxing fans, those ultimate sports. Yes, I'm ultimately in to all of that. And there is a big fight, McGregor versus Cowboy. It comes out Saturday. Well, there was a press conference about it, and I've got my own predictions for this fight, but we're going to listen in just a little bit to the UFC McGregor versus Cowboy press conference. Let's listen in for a minute. 
We're not going to listen to all of this. It's a 37-minute press conference. It's a wonderful thing to go check out. You can find it over on YouTube under the UFC. Yes, UFC has a YouTube channel, and it's wonderful. Go check it out, but make sure you listen to this UFC McGregor versus Cowboy press conference in its entirety. So let's cover about six minutes or so on this. Introducing first, he has the most wins and finishes in UFC history. A man who made his MMA debut all the way back in 2006 and is still going strong today. Here is Donald Cowboy Cerrone. And now, please welcome the Irish superstar, former two-weight world champion, returning for the first time in over 15 months, the notorious Conor McGregor. What's up, everybody? How are you today? Thanks for coming. We appreciate it. Who has the first question? Connor, I wanted to start with you. It's uh, it's clear that you've got a much different energy about you this week and the way you're handling things, a much different approach to the fight week, the fight itself. I'm just curious if you could pinpoint the moment that you realize, like, I've got to make a change. I've got to do this much differently than I did last time out. But, you know, I have not changed too much, to be honest. I am who I am. I've always been. I'm still... I don't think I've changed too much throughout it, you know. Granted, different opponents, different circumstances, but I'm just, I'm in a position right now where I'm very, very excited to be here, and I'm, I'm very eager to, to, to perform for the fans on January 18th. I've got a solid opponent in front of me and uh, a veteran of the game, and I'm just in a good spot, and that's it. I don't think I've changed or altered or, or you know, uh, I'm just committed and focused and happy to be here, mostly like I always have been. Connor, during the time away that you had, I mean, obviously you had the legal concerns and everything that was going against you. I just wonder, was there ever a thought in all that maybe you wouldn't be allowed to come back and fight or maybe you didn't even want to come back and fight and have to come, you know, deal with the hassle, deal with the headaches when obviously you've got plenty of money in the bank, I would imagine. You'd imagine correct. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm very, very grateful and very, I'm just very honored and happy to be, to be here on U.S. soil, back on United States soil back here in Las Vegas. I've had, so, I've had so many amazing moments here. My life has changed here in America, you know, so I'm very grateful for this country and I'm very honored to be here and to perform for the people, you know. I'm an entertainer, a, a fighter and an entertainer and to come here and entertain these people is something that gets me up in the morning, so I'm very happy. And Connor, you've laid out big plans for 2020, the 2020 season as you're uh, calling it. I'm just curious, I mean, 
Are you able to say beyond a shadow of a doubt, legal troubles, everything, it's all hashed out. There's no potential roadblocks or hurdles that might pop up and, and slow down this, this plan for you? <laughs> Guys, I have done nothing wrong here. I'm in, I'm in a good spot. I am ready to fight. I am, I am setting out for big goals. I'm going to kickstart UFC's 2020 year big, and I'm going to continue it. You know, it's going to be a mega year here uh, at the UFC and, and at McGregor Sports and Entertainment. You know that. <laughs> uh, but I'm very happy. I have a lot of, a lot of exciting things in, in the pipeline, and it's, it's damn good to be back. It's damn good. And just one more for Connor. I, I know that you've got a lot of respect for Cowboy and, and as you said, different circumstances. But I'm sure everybody here would appreciate uh, the Mystic Mac prediction of how exactly you get this thing done. You know, I've had, I've had my back and forth with Donald throughout the years. Right? The last time we spoke to each other, I even saw each other would have been at that press conference many years ago. So much has changed since then, right? I was the interim featherweight world champion at the time. Uh, Donald predicted Al I wouldn't get through Aldo. I got through Aldo. He predicted I was too small for the 155-pound division. I conquered that division. You know, we've had a good back and forth, myself and Donald. And as time has gone on, you know, he's become a family man. I've, obviously, you've seen him compete so much, so many times. It's hard not to respect Donald right now at this stage. And he has my respect. And, and although there will be blood spilled on January 18th, it will not be bad blood. And for the Mystic Mac prediction, it will be a KO. <laughs> For Cowboy, I wanted to ask, I mean, the prevailing wisdom in breaking this thing down seems to be that if it ends early, it's because he was able to get to you with the power. If it ends late, you know, you'll be able to take over the fight as it carries on. How do you feel about that analysis? Oh, man, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to four or five rounds of battling with this dude, man. Uh, I don't want anything easy. I want to go on a fight, you know. Connor's one of the last dying breeds of, of the last fighters, man, so it's good to be in there with them and Really get in there and fucking give it all we got. So, uh, yeah, man, I'm going five rounds with this dude, and I cannot fucking wait till Saturday night. You said yesterday that you didn't quite get the red panty night you were hoping for that was out there. So I, I'm curious, if you didn't quite get the big paycheck that you thought was coming, um, what, what does this fight mean to you? Oh, no, you you were mincing my words. You told me Connor said he made 80 million. And I said, well, fucking good for him. That's awesome. He wants to send a little bit of that grease my way. That'd be pretty <laughs> badass. But this is the fight I wanted. This is, I'm not complaining at all, man. I'm fucking here to have a good time. My Connor said, we're entertainers, man. So we're here to fucking entertain, blow the roof off this motherfucker. And just one last one for me, Cal. Well, you keep saying, I keep hearing you say, I'm going to stand and trade. I'm going to give the fans the fight that they, they want to see. But, I mean, a lot of us believe that your jiu-jitsu is probably superior. Can you tell us where jiu-jitsu or grappling ranks somewhere in the game plan? Like, is it, is it plan B or is it is anywhere in there? For all you analysts and experts that are asking these questions, you would be fucking stupid to think this man doesn't have a wrestling defense or some kind of grappling defense. So for me just to walk in and be like, oh, I'm going to just take him down and submit him, get a fucking real life, man. we got to go in there. we got to fight our asses off. That's what's got to happen. So that's all we're going to listen to on that uh, little press conference. Make sure you go over to the UFC YouTube channel and li listen to its entirety. Now, my prediction for this Saturday's fight, you're only going to hear it right here on castbox.fm because I don't cast about this stuff 
usually. I just consume it. But this is a major fight, and I really think that we're going to see a win from Cowboy. Both of these men, they deserve and they demand respect. It's going to be an awesome fight to watch, folks. And if you can watch it, I highly recommend you watching this fight off of UFC. It's going to be a good fight. Both of these men are ultimate fight champions. That's for sure. I just, I've been watching some of these uh, lead up news conferences, and my belief, I think Cowboys got the win coming. Let's pay attention and keep watching. It's going to be exciting Saturday night. All right. So now there are some changes to the disability system coming in the year 2020 and these are actually good changes in my own opinion so there is a person over on youtube named devin carroll this man is brilliant with your social security and if you need some information this is a good place to help you understand about Social Security, what the programs offer people, and it also tells you what the new laws are really about. And that's important because, as you know, we are a republic here in the United States, and we are rule of law, and this is part of it. So when there's changes to these laws you should understand what they are. Now, we need a lot of changes to these social programs, but this is a step forward, and let's listen to what uh, Devin has to say about the changes coming to the Social Security Disability System. So if you've spent any time reading the news, you've probably seen the headlines that President Trump is cutting Social Security. Specifically, Social Security disability benefits. So what's all the hoopla? So hang on before we get into this. I don't like talking about anything that's political. The good Lord knows we're already divided enough without my two cents. But I do think it's time to maybe accept the idea that Social Security is sometimes political. You just can't separate the two and still leave the context intact. So with that being said, though, my goal is to deliver fact without any bias, you know, how the news used to be, right? So before we jump into this, let's be clear. The criteria used to determine whether a person is or is not disabled is not changing. That's not on the table. What everyone is talking about, though, is a proposed change to the CDR or Continuing Disability Review. So let's take a quick look at how this works now, and then we'll talk about the proposed change. So currently, when a person is receiving disability benefits, the Social Security Administration periodically reviews them to make sure they are still medically eligible for payments based on their disability. The frequency of this review is based on the disabled individual's outlook for medical improvement. Currently, there are three 
categories of prospective medical improvement. There's medical improvement expected, medical improvement possible, medical improvement not expected. Now, the key difference with these categories is the frequency of the continuing disability review, that CDR. Those categorized as medical improvement expected can expect a review every six to 18 months. Medical improvement possible can expect a review once every three years, and medical improvement not expected can expect a review once every seven years or so. When individuals are awarded disability benefits, they are notified of which category they are in and when they can expect their next review. So the administration can reclassify medical condition following a review, and that's an important note here. For example, a person whose medical condition was categorized as medical improvement possible can be moved into the medical improvement expected category. And a reclassification will change the frequency of the subsequent continuing disability reviews. So that frames the background where these upcoming changes should be a little easier to understand. But before we talk about what's changing, listen, be sure to subscribe if you haven't already and hit that notifications bell so you could keep up with changes like these. I suspect we're only going to see more of these as the trust funds get closer to empty. So there are really a couple of changes that are being proposed, but they both center around the frequency of the continuing disability review. The administration is saying that the intent of these changes is to be able to identify medical improvement at an earlier point than they can under the current rules, thus not having as many individuals on disability benefits that shouldn't be. Now, the first change that's been proposed is to add a fourth category of prospective medical improvement. This new category will be called medical improvement likely, and people in this category would be subject to review every two years. Now, this would be a midpoint between medical improvement expected and medical improvement possible. The second change would be to modify the criteria they use when determining which medical improvement category someone should be assigned to. The determination of these categories isn't just up to the whims of a caseworker. Just understand that. There's actually a list of impairments that determines the prospective medical improvement. And this list hasn't been updated much since the 1980s, despite the fact that there's been some tremendous medical advancements that have happened. For example, uh, HIV used to be a fatal disease that is now simply a chronic condition that allows a pretty high level of function and longer life expectancies. So if these changes do take effect, a condition that may have been reviewed every three years may now be reviewed every two years and so forth and so on. The critics are really upset about this and say it's going to result in thousands of people losing their disability benefits. But those who support this change say that if someone doesn't have a disabling medical condition, they need to lose their benefits. I'd love to hear what you think about that in the comments below. You know, if you so there are big changes coming to the Social Security. These are not really big changes, people, but they are changes and it's a move forward. And we do need to get a grip on some of this nonsense spending and some of these programs. And there are a lot inside the SSI program, SSDI program that should not be on that. And it's critical that we as Americans care about this sort of stuff. It's not easy to go out there and work all your life 
and see others sucking off of your hard labor. It's not good. And these people that do it, well, maybe they need to get a shock to their system. You know, it's not good to think that you can make something off of somebody else. It's just not good behavior. You've got to go out there, work hard for what you have. And yes, there should be some sort of system where when you get old and you're crippled up, yeah, it's good to have that buffer, that safety net. But where that should be coming from is through the charities of the church, not the state. And we need to get that mentality back, people. We have a lot of misinformed, uneducated people out there. And it's time to get a grip on it. I don't know everything. I know very little. You know, I had one of my liberal buddies tell me, oh, now you're a history major. No, 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 no. I'm never an expert on history. I'm always a student of history. History always teaches me. And I'm always actively looking at other things. See, nobody knows everything. But it's a great feeling when you look into things and you can collaborate on these things. If you don't know it, that's not a bad thing. Simply say, well, I'm not sure. But by God, if you're not sure and you're interested in it, go check it out. Study it. You know, education is the key to change lives. The more you know, the more you can do, the more you can handle, and the more you can expect of yourself. So self-improvement, self-awareness is very critical in this world today. And a lot of people don't have that. So when we are dealing with these social programs, we've got to realize people don't have the self-control. And people will not control how they absorb these systems. So when we think about that, when we create these systems... We have to have these checks and balances right inside the legislation. And we need to know how critical it is when we allow people to just set and suck off of the system. We are actually harming the whole system. And that's critical. So let's get involved, understand Go over to Devin's channel on YouTube and check out all the changes because, like always, everything's always changing in this world. Attitudes, opinions, everything that we touch, taste, smell, we have to be involved in. It's up to you to make things better. Remember that. So let's get into this next thing here. I find this kind of interesting that we have been 
being kind of abused for many, many years on trade. And I can tell you, back in the 70s, we used to be able to fix and repair all of the goods here in America. I remember as a young boy going over to Teed's Appliance and setting with Mr. Teed, and he taught me how to repair toasters and uh, microwave ovens and ovens, refrigerators, all of these things you used to bring into the shop and repair and reuse. We live now in this disposable plastic world, and it's harming everything about us and our environment. So we've got to get grips on what's going on. If we're going to buy goods and manufacture goods, these goods should be very durable durable and long-lasting. So... When we make goods that can be repaired instead of disposed and, you know, rebuy, buy a new piece of plastic garbage instead of, hey, we've got a good metal toaster here, the element burnt out, let's put a new element in it. You know, we've got to get back to some common sense. And industry really matters. Yes, quick and easy is always good, but when we build durable goods that will last 50, 60 years, we don't consume so much from the earth. And actually, those jobs of miners can be turned into repair jobs. We have to use sense about everything. And President Donald Trump is starting to attack this sort of stuff. It's a historic moment. Trump signs the trade deal with China, but the tariffs remain. Let's listen into this real quick. Well, at the ceremony where the deal was signed, launching phase one of the agreement, Donald Trump was rather boastful about this accomplishment. This is what he had to say. Today we take a momentous step, one that has never been taken before with China, toward a future of fair and reciprocal trade as we sign phase one of the historic trade deal between the United States and China. Together we are righting the wrongs of the past and delivering a future of economic justice and security for American workers, farmers, and families. I want to thank President Xi, who is watching as we speak, and I'll be going over to China in the not-too-distant future. Now at the press conference, Donald Trump was very critical of China, using language similar to the language he's been using for the past two years as the trade war escalated. For decades, American workers, farmers, ranchers, manufacturers, and innovators have been hurt by the unfair trade with China. Forced technology transfer and intellectual property theft have been huge problems. Since China joined the World Trade Organization two decades ago, we have racked up nearly $5 trillion. I promised that I would use every lawful presidential power to protect Americans from unfair trade and unfair trade practices. Unlike those who came before me, I kept 
my promise. As a result of today's agreements, some of the planned tariffs that were going to be imposed on China have been dropped and others have been lowered. However, much of the tariffs that have been imposed on China over the past two years uh, that cost uh, that, that basically uh, cover roughly $360 billion worth of goods, uh, most of that remains in effect. Now, the hope is that when phase two goes forward, uh, those tariffs will be dropped, but that remains yet to be seen. Um, the main uh, source of, of, you know, the main part of the U.S. economy that has been impacted by these uh, tariffs has been the agricultural sector. Um, there's been significant losses uh, due to uh, the tariffs. There's been uh, significant decreases, and the U.S. and global markets have certainly been affected as well. Now, when the deal was signed, we heard from China's vice premier, and he seemed optimistic, but his words weren't exactly as glowing as the U.S. president's. Over the past two years, the two sides encountered some difficulties in the economic and trade fields. At times, there were setbacks in our trade talks, because in some issues, we don't see eye to eye. So, at this point, Donald Trump is saying this is a huge breakthrough, uh, that this is the next step forward. Some are looking on with skepticism. I guess we'll just to see, have to see who gets more out of this deal in the long run. So there you have it. Uh, Trump is starting to attack these trade deals with logic and stern resolve. As a citizen of the United States, I do recognize that I am born into a different part of the world. And what the other part of the parts of our world are subject to can be very devastating. And I really empathize with that. However, if we are going to straighten things out. We have to be real with everything. Trade is good. It's awesome to have trade around the world, but the trade must be balanced trade. It must be fair trade, not only on our part, but on our partner's part. Now, when we have trade partners, we want to ensure that they feel that they are getting a good deal, just like we feel we want a good deal. So these trade talks and negotiations, sometimes we don't understand it because we don't understand what's on the table. So it's critical that we don't over activate our minds on these things and let these brilliant men and women do what they do. I mean, Mr. Donald Trump has been doing business for years. Sure, he does things in an unconventional way, that's for sure. But how it gets done, it's really kind of subject to who's doing it. And any good uh, administrator, they realize that they have to delegate authority out. When you delegate authority out, you want to make sure that you trust who you're delegating this authority to. And that's critical. 
And Mr. Trump, he takes care of that. You know, he's famous for this. You're fired. And that's a good attitude. If you're not going to do what you're supposed to do, you should be fired. So Mr. Trump, our great president of this United States of America, he doesn't want to hurt foreign nations. He wants foreign nations to come in line with the thinking of this administration. And this administration's thought is America has to lead the world. And that is true. We're the beacon of hope. We're the shining light of freedom. You know, as I was growing up, back in the 70s, you know, we saw things a little different. So there's this generation gap, that's for sure. But if we can't talk to each other about these intrigal parts of our system, we'll never fix them. Everybody needs to be involved because... We all are part of it. And if you're blocked from these systematic approaches to solving problems, well, we're going to go down a slippery slope. And we're so polarized as a nation, the world is getting chaotic. We're going to cover a little bit more about that here in a little bit. But there's very critical issues surrounding America and the world. I mean, you've got Brexit going on. We're going to talk a little bit about what's going on over in Russia. It's just, wow, what? Are you serious? So, yeah, let's get into this uh, impeachment stuff. I hate to go there, but we've got to. I've been waiting on this live coverage where the Chief Justice is about to swear in the uh, impeachment witnesses. So I was hoping that would start by now, but it hasn't. So we'll cover that in tomorrow's cast. Let's move on to the next here. And we have the Ukraine is probing possible surveillance of the ex-U.S. ambassador. This is big and hot in American and the world politics right now. So we're going to suffer through it. This is about seven minutes long. Let's listen into what the CNN people are saying about this. I find it interesting that it's coming up right now. Uh, Why did Nancy hold the articles of impeachment so long? All of these things matter. And it's like it's an orchestrated event sometimes. And we have to be aware when strings are being pulled. And that's hard to do because there's so much political hype in the world. And... A lot of people are partisan. You have to be able to cross party lines to get things done. And any great president and any great Senate or House of Representative 
our congressional body, well, we have to have this ability to bend a little bit. Compromise is how things get done. There's always room for compromise. During the birth of this great nation, the compromises that came out of each individual state or colony was very important, vital, because this is how the people felt. And when people are feeling neglected, you're going to get revolt. And our founders recognized this when they pinned the Constitution and the amendments, the first Ten Amendments, which we know as the Bill of Rights, they, you know, they tried to get that embodied within the original Constitution. So we have to study how and why these things came about, why things are ratified, and how things get passed by law. It's a very arduous task and it's not supposed to happen fast you know i was listening to andy hoosier over at the voice of reason excellent show you know he pulls in so many different astronomical guests and i was listening to andy yesterday i believe and he was talking about the Constitution. And, you know, I haven't heard this in so many years from anybody. But he actually said, our living documents. Oh, it made me just giddy. That is so important for people to understand that theory and to recognize our living documents and what that means. So, you know, I'm actually going to be incorporating that into my Free Circle Freedoms podcast because these little things we forget. It's critical as a nation that we build upon these principles. Each and every one of us, we have the ability to stand up. We have inherent rights. These rights are inalienable and they are derived from God, not by man. And until you understand that, you will never grasp the true American spirit. These rights are not derived of men. My God gives me the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So we have to remember these principles. You know, Benjamin Franklin, he said, Yeah, we gave you a republic. But it's up to you to keep it. That's a big statement, people. 
And when we go along these socialist, communistic lines, we have to be careful. So let's carry on. Let's listen in to this Ukraine probing possible surveillance of ex-U.S. ambassador. We have more breaking news. Moments ago, Ukraine announcing it will launch a criminal investigation into what happened with U.S. Ambassador Marie Yovanovitch. This is very different than the investigation the Trump administration had pushed for. CNN's Fred Plaikin is live in Moscow with the breaking details. What do we know, Fred? Hi, Allison. Yeah, you're absolutely right. This is coming fresh off the printing presses. In fact, we just got a statement from the Interior Ministry of Ukraine saying they are opening a criminal investigation into the possible surveillance of Ambassador Yovanovitch. Quite interesting. Uh, I'm actually getting a lot of this right now. I'll read it uh, to you, parts of the statement. Uh, they said that they're basing all this on the materials that were made public by the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. Obviously, all those uh, text messages and similar communications uh, that were published over the past uh, 24 hours. And then there's a key part of the statement that I want to read to you. It says, Ukraine's position is not to interfere in the domestic affairs of the United States of America. However, the published references cited by uh, the media contain a possible violation of the law of Ukraine and the Vienna Convention on Diplomatic Relations, which protects the rights of a diplomat on the territory of a foreign country. So clearly the Ukrainians see themselves as having a a responsibility for the safety of Ambassador Yovanovitch. And they said after the analysis of these files and the National Police of Ukraine, basing on the fact of the publication of the files has initiated criminal proceedings of the criminal code of Ukraine. The Ukrainians uh, further going on to say that they are now going to investigate all this and see whether those text messages uh, that have been made public were just bravado or whether there was really a private illegal surveillance campaign going on on the territory of Ukraine. They're also calling, and this is in, in a later part of it, uh, the Ministry of Internal Affairs requested all the information and materials from the FBI about persons who may be involved in a possible criminal offense. In accordance with the international legal mechanisms, the Minister of Internal Affairs of Ukraine, Arsen Avakov, suggested that the U.S. side take part in the investigation. So they're clearly calling on U.S. authorities also to participate on this. In the end, they say they expect a prompt reply from the United States. So as you can see, Ukraine actually moving forward with a criminal investigation into this. Of course, we, CNN, have reached out to the State Department on multiple occasions, have gotten no answer uh, as to what the State Department plans to do about this, uh, any sort of comment, uh, or whether or not they themselves plan to investigate as well, John. All right, Frederick Plykin with this really interesting reporting. Thanks so much for being with us. I have a lot of questions about this. Joining us now, CNN correspondent and former FBI special agent Josh Campbell. Josh, there's a political aspect to this, which isn't your purview, which I have to say, I find it fascinating that this is the investigation that Ukraine has decided to announce publicly. What message are they sending to the world about that and maybe the Trump administration? Let's leave that. We'll talk about that later. But what I want to ask you, with your expertise in security, what does it tell you that Ukraine is announcing an investigation into what may or may not have happened to a U.S. diplomat before the State Department announces such an investigation? Yeah, this is a major development for two reasons. First of all, we see the Ukrainian government taking this uh, very seriously, this uh, idea that perhaps a U.S. ambassador was placed under physical surveillance. But also, as you mentioned, because thus far we have heard nothing from the American State Department about these allegations, nor any type of information uh, regarding what they're going to do to look into it. Now, as Fred was mentioning, and this is important, to, you know, quick history lesson, he mentioned this Vienna Convention. This goes back to the 1960s, where you had uh, nations 
that signed a treaty saying that it is up to the host government to protect foreign diplomats. We do that here in the United States for foreign ambassadors, and it's up to foreign uh, governments overseas to protect personnel that are in the diplomatic uh, community. And it appears as though the Ukrainians are taking that very seriously. This idea uh, that an American ambassador may have been surveilled. Uh, we don't know if there was a, perhaps threats associated with that, but the Ukrainians certainly taking that very seriously. And also the idea that they're now asking for the support of the FBI, U.S. federal investigators regarding Im- any information that they may have. Again, a major development. And the silence right now appears very deafening from the State Department. Uh, we haven't heard that, you know, they, that diplomatic security has launched an investigation. Right. We haven't heard that the FBI is looking into this. But again, a major development here uh, as it relates to the security of an American diplomat overseas. What would the normal process be, Josh, from an, an administration or a State Department if they cared to investigate? How would they? Well, there are uh, different avenues for that. Now, inside the State Department, there is a Bureau of Diplomatic Security. These are federal agents that are charged with protecting American ambassadors, American diplomats. Uh, and again, their, it's, their purview is the security of these officials. And so if there's any type of information or allegation that one of those ambassadors was surveilled, was placed in uh, any type of threatening situation, it would be up to them to try to investigate that, not only to ensure the protection of the ambassador, but to ensure that there aren't other threats out there against other persons. Personnel. Now, to be sure, and you know, to fairness to the State Department, these aren't investigations that are typically announced publicly, mm-hmm. but something this high profile, where you have this information that's out there, even a, a signal from the State Department that they take it seriously uh, would be, I think, important for the American people as it relates to this intergovernmental cooperation mm-hmm. that we can expect now between the FBI and the Ukrainians. That will probably be done out of sight. Right. We won't see a lot of the inner details there. But again, if the signal here to the American people is that, they, that the U.S. government takes the protection of diplomats seriously, there has to be some type of information from the State Department uh, to that end. Josh, we got about 30 seconds left. You have some new reporting on a warning that has gone out to first responders in the United States. What's that about? Yeah, John, you know, in the United States, obviously, the job of law enforcement is very dangerous. Police officers are on the beat. They're fighting crime Uh, to the list of those dangers. We now add the possibility of officers uh, being ambushed by terrorists. This is coming from the National Counterterrorism Center in Washington, uh, an alert that was sent out to police departments around the country, warning officers of the likelihood that terrorists could uh, conduct ambush style attacks on police officers uh, because of their physical presence, because they're obviously uniformed, they could be targets of opportunity. And this uh, study actually looked back on a number of different incidents from 2014 to 2018, uh, indicating that some 53 officers in the United States uh, were ambushed by both terrorist and non-terrorist elements. Again, uh, you know, obviously an important development uh, for law enforcement. We don't yet know if this has anything to do with recent developments related to Iran. That's something that we've asked the uh, National Counterterrorism Center. We're waiting to hear back from that. Uh, But again, this new bulletin going out to U.S. law enforcement, that American uh, law enforcement officers should be alert to the possibility of potential ambush attacks, John. That last part is really disturbing, and we're going to talk just a little bit about that. Anytime we have people ambushing anybody, that's wrong, period. If you have disagreements, it should not come at the end of a gun or a sword, or physical confrontation. Of course, there's always going to be that physical confrontation because some people just don't get it. But let me assure you, 
if you are being assaulted, you should answer the call. But you always should respect your fellow man, no matter their ideology, your disconnection from their reality. We have to empathize with with each other. We have to understand, yeah, there's a lot of disagreement, and it comes from politics and religion. But these two things, politics and religion, they're the main driving gears of the whole world. And we can only control these things within our own minds and within our own actions. Always try to work things out rationally before we jump to the barrel of a gun. That's just the sensible thing to do. I would hope everybody would agree with that. If not, maybe it's time to do a little bit of self-analysis. Because worth means a lot. And everybody is valued here. Let's remember, the big world is a big playground. And we all play here together. I have friends from around the world that I talk to and we discuss things. Yes, we believe different things. That does not mean we have to hate each other. I want to understand my fellow man. I want to understand why they feel these feelings. That takes a lot of getting outside yourself and being empathetic. It's not easy to do. Sometimes you just got to shut your microphone off and let other people talk. That's what we do here at the end of the show. We give everybody five minutes. If they want to step up and poke that little phone on castbox.fm, we love to hear what you have to say. We don't let calls usually come in during our cast time. However, we do open that microphone up at the end of our cast because everybody should have the right to say how they feel. It matters. If we agree or disagree, well, that's another story. Remember, before you act violently, you can always change the channel. Here on this great big internet thing, People get pretty bold and they'll be that that keyboard warrior and type some pretty nasty things that generally, if they were standing face to face, they would never say. Let's remember that too. So when somebody acts, make sure you know your reaction. Because sometimes that's all they want is a reaction. These deranged type, they just kind of love to push those buttons. 
So let's get into the next part here. The scandal, key player in Ukraine scandal, opens up about Ukraine and Trump. The 11th hour. Let's listen in. Robert Costa, national political reporter for The Washington Post, moderator of Washington Week on PBS. Anita Kumar, White House correspondent and associate editor at Politico. And here in New York, Joyce Vance, a U.S. attorney who spent 25 years as a federal prosecutor. Good evening and welcome to you all. I beg your patience as I uh, hit our favorite uh, in-house counsel here with a couple right off the top. Joyce, in normal times would we have seen a special prosecutor appointed this afternoon? This is a mountain of potential evidence. Yes, absolutely. If not earlier, we need to have a special counsel. Why is that? Because it's clear that Bill Barr can't conduct a criminal investigation about a matter that he is perhaps involved in, certainly would be a witness in. Impeachment is only about the president. There are criminal charges here. Only a special counsel can get to the bottom of that. Is there a chance that this interview tonight was so shocking that combined with how numb we have grown, mentions of the attorney general, the vice president, and the mountain of evidence against the president and Giuliani, if Mr. Parnas is telling the truth and can back it up, this is monumental stuff. You know, it is. On the one hand, we have to be cautious. Everything that Mr. Parnas, who is someone who is under indictment, everything that he says has to be corroborated. But at the same time, it is very consistent with testimony that we have heard from other witnesses. In some cases, it seems to fill in blanks. And something that impressed me was when it came to these allegations, um, or rather the text messages from Robert Hyde about the surveillance and perhaps threat to Ambassador Yovanovitch, uh, Parnas would not go there. And he said, no, that I knew that he wasn't for real. That, I think, builds his credibility. If he was making everything up, he would have agreed to that as well. But he put the brakes on. He used a double negative, in fact, when describing Mr. Hyde. He said, I've never seen him when he wasn't drunk. Um, and that was notable. Additionally, um, to say, who am I? Why would these people meet yeah. with me? That's the opposite of a claim of grandiosity that you sometimes guess get with big level witnesses. There are these little moments with witnesses that help juries decide whether or not to believe them. And it's an informal moment like that where, you know, he sort of puts out his hands and says, well, why else would they meet with me? And that's very credible. Robert Costa uh, covering the Hill, this relentless search for dirt on the Bidens. And now this witness tonight, Joyce is right. If corroborated, the evidence he reeled off against the president, Rudolph Giuliani, mentions uh, of the vice president, the attorney general. There's more tomorrow night. Devin Nunes came in uh, for mentions tonight. Um, How many Republicans have texted you back tonight and what are they saying? My paper in the my story in the newspaper today in The Washington Post and my whole day was spent at at the Senate, talking to Senate Republicans and their advisors and allies. And this is a significant development. Hours after the articles of impeachment are formally moved from one chamber to the other, you now have Senate Republicans looking ahead to a negotiation over a rules package and a witness agreement 
with Senate Democrats. We've always heard so far about Hunter Biden in exchange, perhaps, for Ambassador Bolton. That's what Senator Cruz has been articulating behind the scenes. Now you have Lev Parnas and Democrats and perhaps some Republicans could be interested in the coming days as the rules are negotiated for a Senate trial to have Mr. Parnas come forward and be a witness in this Senate trial. Anita, is the White House in your talks with sources there um, speaking realistically, adjusting their thinking realistically to the very real possibility of witnesses? Well, they're still saying to us that they believe in the end this will be a short trial and they think that they have the upper hand because they don't want to go down this road. If Democrats have witnesses, then Republicans have witnesses and they just nobody wants all these witnesses to come forward. So they're still feeling pretty good. But, you know, the president has been frustrated now for weeks um, as the speaker has held up the articles. And as she says, she's gained some leverage as some of this information is coming out. It's frustrating to the president because, um, you know, he wants to get this over with. And precisely for the reason the speaker said, more information is coming out and every piece that comes out drags it out further. There's a possibility of witness. There's a possibility that some of the Republicans could turn on him. So every day that this is delayed and hasn't gone forward is not a good day for him. And so you are you know, talking to people close to the president or people that the president has talked to. There is that frustration and has been now for weeks. Joyce Vance, noting that you teach law school, uh, give us a lesson and procedure here and how this works. Mr. Parnas has been indicted and is being investigated by the Justice Department's New York office, the Southern District of New York. How then does this material from his phone and files, a mountain of it, make its way down to the Intel Committee of the House? How then, without fanfare or press conference, never missing an opportunity to miss an opportunity, does this kind of in a controlled leak find its way to us? We're still knee deep in documents going through what we have here. So this was actually not a leak. This was an official sanctioned process where Parnas's attorney asked for permission to turn material over, received permission to turn it over. And, and, you know, so when the FBI does an image, say, of a cell phone, that's just a big raw piece of data that you get back. Some work has to be done to make it usable. And that is then what we saw Parnas and his attorney uh, work very quickly, as we heard Rachel say, to turn that over so that it would be part of the record that the House transmitted to the Senate. Once the House transmitted the articles of impeachment, that record was closed. So there was apparently a rush at the end to include this material in the record that the Senate can consider if it chooses to look at the evidence. And I heard it put tonight that it's uh, uh, further of benefit to Mr. Parnas that he has not had these devices in his possession for weeks, if not months. There's been no ability on his part to go back and correct or delete things. That's right. At least that's technically correct. There's no reason to believe that those devices would not have been secured to prevent, say, some alteration using the cloud that would have been detected. They were probably turned off and images were taken immediately. And it's those images that were taken at the time that they were seized that would be used to generate evidence. So this works in Parnas's favor. The fact that he's turning information over while he's still under indictment and that could conceivably be used against him, certainly his statements tonight. These are factors that tend to build credibility for him. Robert Costa, let me show you a moment as we recorded it tonight on Fox News. 
If the prosecution brings a witness, if if they bring John Bolton, then President Trump can bring a witness. He can bring in Hunter Biden. Um, Robert, what's the real chance we'll see a kind of tit for tat calling of witnesses? What's the chance that could blow up in the faces of the Republicans in the Senate? And in plain English, what do you do if you're Susan Collins? You're at home tonight watching the interview we saw on the air. Do you say Lev Parnas raises no questions in my mind? I'm good. I have no further questions. It's going to be a a test for these senators because you're going to have at first a phase one of the trial. And then a couple weeks in the negotiations of the witnesses and the potential witnesses has to be finalized. And at this moment, based on my reporting, there could be a possibility in this trial that there are no witnesses, that there will not be a consensus because of the way Senator Cruz working along with Senator McConnell, who hasn't made a firm decision on anything, may decide we to take what that line from Sean Hannity, we're only going to get uh, Ambassador Bolton or Lev Parnas up under oath if we get something in exchange. For some Democrats, they say this strays from the mission of abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. It doesn't really relate to the case and they may resist, but they also could try to call the Republicans bluff. A Senate Democrat I spoke with today said we may say to the Republicans, OK, we'll bring up Hunter Biden, but we're going to have Ambassador Bolton and Lev Parnas. So it's a negotiation uh, that's really riven with political dynamics all as a presidential race is unfolding. Hey, Anita Kumar, this is not about us as much as it will sound, but about our ability to transmit a story to the folks at home. Let's talk about press restrictions under McConnell on the Senate side. One camera allowed today to record the transmittal of the articles of impeachment. On the upside, that's one more than the Kremlin. The downside is there are restrictions in how we can cover this trial going forward. Even some Republicans have criticized them. Do you think they'll hold? It does sound like they're going to hold, but you are interestingly seeing these Republicans criticize, not all of them, but some of them, and some of them saying that they want to vote on some of these restrictions. You're seeing pushback from C-SPAN, who likes to be in the chamber and, and broadcasting. And just from the rank and file of reporters on the Hill, as Bob knows, as you know, as I know, when I was over on Capitol Hill, part of what reporters do there is walk and talk with senators. Mm-hmm. They're, um, that's how they get information. Senators are very well versed on how not to talk to reporters, right? They can pretend they're on the phone. They can slip into an elevator. But part of just being over there is being able to wander the halls and talk to people. That's not going to be able to happen under these rules. And so there's a lot of pushback about that. There's a lot of things we're not going to see and not going to hear. And I think that's going to be a problem. And you're seeing our colleagues over there really, really push back. Doesn't sound like it's going to change, though. Sincere thanks. Real quick, Brian, it, it must be understood that when we talk about these rules, in terms of press access, these aren't some rules that have been made centuries ago about how the Senate is run. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is in control of how the Senate is run in terms of media coverage. He is the majority leader. He makes the decisions. It's not some old rule book that's being followed here. It's his decision. Thank you for adding that. And sincere thanks to our big three on a big night. Hey there, I'm Chris. So there you have it. You know, it's still a big, big, big contentious thing with this impeachment. You know, we've got the Ukraine thing. there's a lot going on in the world and a lot of people are dealing with a lot of different things, depression, thoughts of suicide, a lot of things 
especially in a political season, these things can get to us heavily. I put up Tracy Maxfield's website in the chat room. Go to tracymaxfield.com. That's T-R-A-C-E-Y-M-A-X-F-I-E-L-D.com. This lady is brilliant when it comes to dealing with depression. She has experience in the matter. And she talks openly about it. So we have to be able to recognize when we do need help and recognize where we should be getting help. It's hard to do sometimes. Tracy is a wonderful lady. She's always got good insight on this sort of thing. And during the political season, it's always good to have those places you can go listen to somebody who's dealt with the experience of depression you know, anxieties, things that the mind throw at us. It's always wonderful to get educated. And that's one of Tracy's big points is education, empowerment. You know, once we educate ourselves, we can empower ourselves. That's important. It took me a long time to be able to even get on a microphone. I have to take the responsibility for my own life and re-educate myself. If something happens in your life and you fall to depression or illness or anything, there's a lot that can happen in life. Remember, it takes time, it takes hope, and it takes a lot of belief in yourself. And that's hard to do sometimes. So we always are aware that people have problems because that's what life is. It's a bunch of problems. We have to start looking at it like building blocks. Once we experience something, we have to learn from that. If we don't, we repeat it. That's what history is for. I'm no history buff, but I love to look into it. I love to read about it. I love to learn. Learning is vital. It's the best thing you have, people. Where you learn from matters. So be objective, but be open to learning. Accept truth where it lies, and that matters a lot. I was on a show with a great, great man, Andy Hoosier. I also put his website in the chat room. It's HoosierReason.com. That's H-O-O-S-E-R-R-E-A-S-O-N.com. Andy has a lot of great guests. He's always providing good insight. And 
He's the voice of reason, as his show says. He puts a lot of reasoning in what's going on. He covers a lot of different things, but we need a lot of reason. So go over, check out Andy Hoosier at HoosierReason.com and join his effort. These people are trying to establish their own media company. And what we need is a free and open press. We need people willing to stand on the front line and say how they feel. Because insight matters. So, and also, I'm going to plug my own website, deadamerica.website. And you can go find all of our media content over there. We would love to have you get involved. At the end of this broadcast, we always open the microphone to each person if they want to plug that little telephone on castbox.fm. Come on over, get involved. We are almost done with today's show. We've got one more highlight we want to cover because this is critical. And what's going on over in Russia? Oh my God, people. Hang on. What is happening in the world today? Let's listen in to the entire Russian government is resigning. What? Yeah, check it out. Major reshuffle of the Kremlin. Russian Prime Minister Dmitry Medvedev has just announced that he and the entire Russian government will resign. Fred Plekin is live in Moscow for us. Uh, Fred, huge development here. Talk us through what more we know at this stage. Yeah. You're absolutely right, Julie. It certainly is a massive development. It's really one that came absolutely surprising to folks here in Russia, uh, to everybody who's observing Russia as well. I can tell you that when this announcement happened, Russian state TV didn't even break into it. They continued their regular programming because even they hadn't heard and they hadn't been informed that this was going to happen. Then a couple of minutes later, there was some video of Vladimir Putin speaking with Dmitry Medvedev. And then he made this announcement saying that he and his entire government would resign. Now, I have his statement here. I'm going to paraphrase from it a, a, a little bit. So, so forgive me for not looking up at the camera the entire time. He said that uh, significant changes not only to a number of articles of the Constitution, but to the balance of power as a whole were announced. Vladimir Putin had his State of the Union address today uh, where he called for some changes to Russia's Constitution to give actually the parliament more power and less power to the presidency, which some people see as Vladimir Putin preparing for 2024 when his term runs out and when normally he would have to leave power as far as the constitution of this country is concerned. So he announced some things that he wanted to happen, and part of that pertained to the way that the prime minister is elected, which he says in the future should happen by the parliament and not by the presidency as it has been in the past. So those were some fundamental things that Vladimir Putin said earlier today. And uh, if, uh, Dmitry Medvedev, then in his statement, he said, in the context of that, we as the government should provide the president of our country with the opportunity to make all the decisions necessary for this. And in these conditions, I believe it would be right in accordance with Section 117 of the Constitution. The government would be uh, would resign. So Dmitry Medvedev there announcing his resignation, announcing the entire government's resignation. Vladimir Putin was actually seated next to him as he made this announcement on national TV then. And Vladimir Putin then accepted that resignation. He said not everything had gone well, but he did thank the government. And then Vladimir Putin said, that this current government is going to st uh, stay in power as in a caretaker function 
while Vladimir Putin speaks with every single minister personally uh, and then decides whether or not these ministers are going to be able to continue or get back into their portfolios or whether they will leave. Now, uh, as far as Dmitry Medvedev himself is concerned, who, of course, for four years was also the president of this country, there is already talk of him going on Russia's National Security Council. But right now, what you have here is a massive shakeup uh, in the government, a massive shakeup possibly also in the power structure here as well. But of course, Vladimir Putin is still very much in the driver's seat as far as Russian politics concerned as far as the Russian state itself is concerned as well, Julia. Absolutely. And if we look ahead as well, the belief here is perhaps this is again Vladimir Putin working towards the future, what life looks like beyond his presidential term here in, in 2024. But for me, critical in the short term, foreign relations. Sergei Lavrov, the face of Russia outside uh, to the international community. Do we think he remains... Yeah, look, Sergei Lavrov, that's going to be one of the big decisions that, uh, that we're going to be waiting for uh, as well. He's obviously been the Russian foreign minister for an extremely uh, long period of time. He's also someone who's very much the face of Russian uh, foreign policy uh, as well. As Vladimir Putin was saying there, he's going to see, he's going to talk to all these ministers uh, one by one. He's then going to see whether or not they're going to continue their portfolios. Uh, Sergei Lavrov is one of the ones that, that we're certainly looking at very closely, the Russian foreign minister. He is, I believe, 69 or 70 years old uh, already. Again, he's been in power for an extended period of time. Whether or not he is going to continue on, that was something that was a question already going into this uh, and has been a question for a while whether or not he would continue he would finish uh, the governmental terms uh, the term until its end or whether or not uh, he would resign or step down before going to retirement before so that's certainly going to be one of the main questions but in general this is a big shakeup of Russian politics and of Russian policy, also as far as financial politics is, is concerned as well. Of course, that's a key thing uh, for the Russians with this country under some pretty immense sanctions from the United States, from, some, from, from the international community as well. Of course, financial policy and keeping this country running economically is something that's also a very, very big deal and is going to be very key looking forward and moving forward to see how that's going to evolve, Julia. Absolutely. The domestic story and, of course, foreign relations here, too. Fred, great to have you with us. Fred Fleiken. So the world is changing, people. We have a lot of exciting and new for a lot of people. These things, these actions, they have not been seen because a lot of people involved we have to remember our young people and it's critical that we get our story straight and we identify what's going on around the world and we address the issues. You know, a lot of people don't like Donald Trump, but the man is shaking some dust out of the whole world here. And with that, you're seeing a lot of power struggles you're seeing new alliances being formed and new currencies being pushed. There's a lot going on in the world that, you know, a lot of people get worried about. Every so often, these imbalances create friction. So when we deal with foreign policy, by the way, which are 
founding fathers and George Washington warned against getting entangled in these things, forming these alliances and new NATOs and, you know, nothing's going to work unless we have personal responsibility. And that means being able to address things in a proper way. And that means understanding what's going on. I don't always understand what's going on. And that's why I'm constantly looking to smarter, brighter individuals. You know, that's how you build yourself. Don't surround yourself with people that are going to be neglectful and just so what. You have to surround yourself with the proper people to produce proper lifestyle. And a lot of people don't get that. If you're around negativity, you're going to become negative. Try and find the positive even out of the negative. That's critical that we can do that. And the great United States of America, that's what we were founded on. Giving people the ability, the right to thrive. Freedom means a lot. It's not free. A lot of great men fought and died, got crippled up. We have to understand what we are dealing with. And the ability to say, yeah, I don't quite understand or I don't know, that matters. Because if you can't admit that you don't understand, you don't know, you won't be able to learn. Because you won't open up to new ideas, new thought. You have to be able to learn from new ideas. That means young people, old people, foreign people, people that don't agree with you. You know, that's how we build character, strength. That's how this nation was formed. These people at the beginning, they were fleeing persecution, religious. You know, every person has the right to believe their own religious belief, and it shouldn't be attacked. You know, religion and politics, it's the two major things. If you're going to act like a child within them, you'll always be a child. All right, that is the end of my cast, and we do have somebody that wants to come on. This is free speech time. I will open the microphone up to each individual, five minutes, and uh, free speech away. You're on. Go ahead. Hello. Tanji Kumar. Yeah. Would you like to say something? Oh, I I don't want to say something. Okay, uh, Tanji, you will have to step up to the microphone, turn it up a little bit. 
Well, that's all right. <clears throat> it's not easy. And I do thank you for trying anyway. You know, it's not easy to get up to the mic and uh, just talk. I suffered from that and I suffered from anger, you know, and when I first started on this social media, uh, radio or podcasting, it was tremendous on my mind that I had to get what was on my mind off. And I found this is the way I can get that off, learn to deal with my angers, my frustrations. These things matter, not only here, but all around the world. How people feel matter, and we should care. No matter where you are, as a human being and a person, your opinion matters to me. I do not have to agree with it, and I will not always agree. You know, that's just a good thing. Because if you follow sheep, you become sheep. And then wolves devour you. Don't let that happen. Educate yourself. Get involved. You know, I'm still learning how to read. I'm still learning how to... uh develop my skills on communication. I don't always pronounce my words properly, but I try. And if I do mess up on a word, I take the time, I highlight that word, and I go learn to pronounce it. It takes each and every one of us to own up to ourselves. It's personal responsibility. And that matters because if you can't identify your weakness, you can't build yourself to a strength. And, hey, we all need that internal strength to say, I matter. And that's what this show really is about, keeping it real. My thoughts, my opinions, that's what they are, my thoughts, my opinions. I cherish each and every one of you. And your thoughts matter. It's about building unity, not only here in the United States, but around the world. You know, a lot of people don't understand our President Donald Trump and his antics right now. And I wasn't really too keen on some of it myself. But I definitely understand we have problems that we have to face, not only here, but abroad. And what that takes is good communication and good deal-making. And I'm sorry, we're looking at some deals being made that really need to be handled. You know, we have good men, men and women all around the world that try very hard to be humane. And that's what we need to build on. Not all of the divisions, because there's always going to be division. This is where we build people on those divisions, by trying to understand each other. 
I'm going to end the cast. Last time out here. If you'd like to step up to the microphone, you have the shot. If not, make sure you go over to deadamerica.website. You can find all of our shows there. And our show with Andy Hoosier is up there on our front page right now. That man is brilliant. I love how he steps up to the microphone and gets it done. And he says it how it is. He brings exciting guests onto his show all the time. Go over to Andy Hoosier and check him out. And make sure you like, share, subscribe to our podcast, this live cast here on CastBox FM. We want to thank CastBox fm for this wonderful platform we have exciting guests all the time that pop in and out in the chat room we love the interaction that people bring don't be shy here you know we are about your rights not only ours i'm ed waters and we're casting live off of castbox.fm it's a wonderful platform you should check it out they offer you the ability to do a live cast they offer you the ability to start a podcast with an RSS feed that you can distribute anywhere across all of your social platforms and they've got a wonderful wonderful ambassador program these people are on the ball when you have issues and you don't quite understand things on their platform they're on top of it i highly recommend castbox.fm for anybody just beginning podcast or they want to get involved and start live casting and interacting with people this is a great platform to do that so i'm ed water we're casting live off of Castbox FM every weekday morning, 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Get involved, speak out, and be proud that you're alive right here in this great big blue marble world that we live in together. We all matter.